0: Finishing up a series on marriage that's kinda of overlapping with our summer community group uh, topic. Um, and last week we looked at a text that uh, dealt a lot with, with the role of the husband. Tonight we'll look at one that deals a lot with the role of the wife. However, um, you really can't, can't divide those things too far because um, it is really, it's really the role of both. Um, because you are uh, together trying to make your marriage um, be exactly like the original, which would be Jesus and, and the church you're trying to work toward um, what would really be a return to the Garden of, of Eden. Um, if you look at the progression of, of events um, that happened in Eden, and when uh, Adam was formed out of the dirt and Eve was formed out of uh, one of his ribs, um, it says at the end of that chapter, end of chapter 2, before it goes into um, chapter 3, which is where sin enters into the world, it, it said that they were unashamed. It says that if they had nothing to hide from each other. Uh, they had nothing to hide from the Lord. Um, that, is, that is the goal for all of us to get back to that point where that kind of transparency and honesty exists. And that's the problem with sin is that sin brings um, this, you kind of have this weird um, sense that you need to, uh, to hide things and cover things up and not really share uh, how you're feeling or where you are on, on things. And so all of us, as we are being uh, made more and more to the image of, of Christ, that's a part of what we're still working on, is getting to that point where we can live in a way that is, that is shameless in the sense that we will be honest with our community and we will not withhold things and cover up and all that kind of stuff. And so for a marriage, that's really what you're trying to do, is have God bring you back to that point where, where you really are like you're Genesis 2, not Genesis 3. And so he's crossing you back over into that, and so we're trying to, to help in, in that process. Um, and so um, for, for the wives who are in the room, this is one of those passages of, of Scripture where um, you look at this, and we're going to look at 1 through 7 in 1 Peter 3. Uh, six of the seven verses deal with the wife directly, and then the, the husbands get one. And uh, I've read this a couple of times in my studies that, that every time marriage is specifically addressed, it always addresses the the wife first, which is interesting. And uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is, but I don't think it's by accident. There's something to be said for that. I don't know what it is, and you can draw your own conclusion. Write a book, get rich. That'll be fine. Um, let's let's look at this. We're just going to go slowly through here. It says, "Likewise, wives." Okay. So it says, "Likewise," he's been talking about being subject to government and your boss at work and that kind of stuff and, and how we are, you know, you're know you supposed to fit into the, uh, the structures of authority that have been set in place. So that's where that likewise comes from. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, we'll just stop right there. Now, as a guy, I read Ephesians 5, and I see husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I see that, and I'm like, that's, that's difficult. I read those two verses, and I think this is maybe the equivalent of, wow. Submit to your husband and to, to the point where even if he's not being obedient, he is won over simply by your conduct, not by your words, simply by your conduct, because it is respectful and pure. Now, within, there, within that, there's a, a couple of, of uh, things that need to be addressed, and I think the main one is the idea of submission and how that is uh, not a positive term when you first hear it, you know? I mean, from the time I'm little and I'm watching wrestling on TV, I'm like, that's a submission hold. that's my earliest reference for submission is WWF Hacksaw Jim Duggan ultimate warrior the Iron Sheik, I mean how culturally inappropriate were we we back then all the bad guys were like Russians and from Iran and stuff where all the good guys wave American flags and carry two by fours and it's like how how far we've come Um, (laughs) but submission is considered a negative thing, right? I mean that's that's the, the connotation that it has that it implies um, some you're being forced to do something you have someone who's up here and you're down here and because you're down here and they're up here, whatever they say you have to do but that's not that's not the way God designed submission to be so again we're talking we we see an example of of something pure that God created that has become bad because of sin, and now he is the one trying or he's the one that is redeeming it and bringing us back to that original thing. So we're going from Genesis 3 back to Genesis 2. That's where he's taken us to where from an unhealthy view of submission to a biblical God-written definition of what submission is. In order to understand submission accurately, we, we you know, you, you take a copy of the original is marriage. So you look back at the original. When we look at real submission, we see Jesus. I saw this on Twitter this week. Um, Someone wrote that Jesus is the perfect example of how to behave as a leader, like when you're in leadership, and also perfect perfect example of how to live as one who is in submission. Like He's the perfect example of both. And this is what that, that means. Um, you know, hu- husbands can look to Jesus as the, the, the perfect groom to an imperfect bride and, and see how, ideally, how a groom should live every single day striving for that. See, a wife can do the same thing because you can look at Jesus because Jesus um, submitted to the will of the Father. So this is, again, where, a, where an understanding of theology comes directly into real-life situations. You have, you have the Godhead, the Trinity. One God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And so... Um, Upon first hearing it, when you see how history is played out, it looks at first glance like you have Father appear, then the Son, and then the Spirit. But there, there's no hierarchy within the Trinity. They're each fully and equally God. So everything that's true about God is true about the Spirit, just as much as the Father, just as much as the Son. And so there's this there's equality and this unity that exists within God Himself. Now that's probably, from where the best I can figure it out, that's where submission goes wrong. Because where there is true equality and true unity, submission is, I mean it makes perfect sense and it's your joy to do that. So if, if there is like a true team in place and everybody's on the same page and everybody sees each other equally, then you see submission not as I have to do what this guy says, but as I'm just going to play the role that I'm supposed to play. Because I see the equality and I understand the big picture, so my role is to do this, and his role is to do this, and your role is to do this. And when everybody's doing what they need to do, everything works perfectly. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father sends the Son, says, go to the earth. And the Son says, I will leave heaven and go to the earth. He lives this perfect life at the end of his life. um, He is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, uh, not my will, but your will. There's any way for me to do this uh, another way? Let's do that. But it's not about what I want. I'm submitting to what you want. Because there is true unity and true equality within that relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then the Spirit is sent by the Son and by the Father to, to come and to convict and to apply the redemption to us and to guide and to teach us what the Bible says and all that stuff. So if we want to, to really understand what marriage needs to look like, you actually look at the Godhead and you see how there is equality and unity, yet there is also a distinction of role and a willingness, willingness to play that role, whatever the cost is, because they understand the big picture. They understand what's really going on. So you bring that into a A marriage situation where there is real unity and real equality submission is just willingly playing the role that you're supposed to play that's a wife saying I'm the wife and you are the husband you are called to lead I'm called to come alongside you and to help help fulfill that vision and the the things that God has called you to do by using my, my gifts and my abilities and just everything that that everything that I have, we serve together to accomplish this goal of glorifying God, whatever the family looks like, whatever. But where there's not unity and equality, submission is resisted greatly. And, and you can it kind of goes one, one way or the other. Sometimes you have, uh, you have a husband who thinks he is superior to his wife. And so, in that situation, a submissive wife, um, she has is has convinced herself that she really is lesser than him, and so it's not healthy submission. It's um, it's it's what everybody fears submission looks like. It's um, I'm an idiot, he knows everything, and so I'm just going to kind of go along, just be like a yes woman, and just do whatever. Or it kind of goes the other way, where you have a wife who thinks that her husband is an idiot. And she's like, there's no way I'm submitting to him. You can forget it. Very, very rarely do you have a husband who's like, yeah, my wife's an idiot. Usually the husband's like, I am the problem. No doubt. But the other scenario I think you see a little bit more. You hear... Wives, and this is not a statement against our wives, just in general, whether we're talking about what you see on TV and in movies or just from conversations you hear people say of the wife is like, if my husband would just get off off the couch and if he would just do this and this and this and this, everything would be fine. And it's blame, 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 blame. And what is actually happening is you're just proving there is no equality and unity because you think you're better than him. And when you think you're better than him, there's no way that you're going to Submit to him in a pure and respectful way, like it says in this verse. And the thing, the the craziest part about to me about a wife saying, I'm not going to submit to him because this, this, he is not leading me like Jesus would. And the, the crazy part about that is, none of us submit willingly to Jesus, and he's the perfect husband. He is absolutely perfect to us as his church, and we resist submitting to him, and that tells us that there's more going on than just the conduct of the one we're submitting to, and this verse throws that logic completely out the window, because you cannot sit there and blame your husband for the fact that you don't really want to submit to him. That's your issue. That's in here, and that's up here, and that's a part of the redemption that Jesus provided on the cross is for him to put that back in its right place. And I've told both sessions of wives, of, wives, of our Holy Matrimony group this, ladies, maybe you're the problem. And maybe you need to work on you and let him work on him. And you be the wife and you let him be the man, the husband, Now, I know that's not a comfortable thing to think about. Wives are untouchable, right? I think that there are probably wives among us here who would willingly admit there are plenty of of issues in our marriage where I'm the problem. And this verse gives you the solution. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, that he may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Respectful and pure conduct. Don't you just hate that it says that? That it literally says, even if your husband is being disobedient to the word, you be true. You don't get off the hook because your husband's not pulling his own weight because he's not being Jesus. Now, let me quickly put to the side a couple of things. If you're we're, if we're talking about abuse, this is not a, well, you need to hang in there and be abused verse, okay? So we'll put that situation to the side. If there's substance abuse in your house, that's something else to, to talk about. Um, if you are married to someone who is not a Christian, who is not a redeemed believer in Christ, then that will put that one over here too. And those are all conversations that I would love to have with you or anybody that you know that's in that situation because that would be misinterpreting this text and I think putting yourself in an unfair situation and your spouse. So let's put those to the side. But in general, you married a Christian and there's no abuse and there's no substance abuse and all that kind of stuff. It's just like you're in this thing together and your husband, in a very practical, like happens-to-everybody kind of way, is going through something. And his pride's gotten the better of him, or there's something, there's just something going on. There's some sin issue that he's either wrestling through, or he's just callous to it, or whatever. He's going through his deal. You hang in there, but not just. I love that it it doesn't say that you'll be won over by by he'll be won over by your conduct. Because if it only said that, then. I mean, you could do the most like vindictive, manipulative stuff, whatever, just to get a point across. You know, you could. I mean, he's sitting there in his recliner watching Sports Center for like the fourth time, um, and you'd be like, "I'm going to have my quiet time right next to him." <laughs> yeah. You know? Before he goes home from work, I'm gonna put his Bible in his recliner and put the remote inside of it. I'm going to program the TV to channel 32 where Joel Osteen comes on. I'm going to put his radio on k And I'm going to do all these manipulative things so that by my conduct, in air quotes, uh, he will get the point. It doesn't say that. And I'm so glad. And all the husbands here are so glad that it does not say that. And if you are doing that, you need to read both verses 1 and 2 and not just 1. Respectful and pure conduct. Respectful, okay. That, I mean, we talk about this in our group. Like, What are examples of respectful conduct? And it's basically like just not disrespectful conduct. Don't cheap shot your husband. Don't make fun of him to his face or behind his back or in front of a group. Don't bash him on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Like, don't emasculate the dude and don't, don't try to be the husband. Respect the fact that he has this huge calling on him, just like you do. And respect the fact that, that he has the mantle of Christ, that expectation on him. And so as you are respectfully acting toward him, there's also a purity there in your motive. That you're not nagging at him, and you're not being manipulative, and you're not trying to twist things around, and you're not catching an attitude about it, and it's, there's just a purity in, your, in just the only way that you handle yourself. To the point like this verse says, I mean, where the implication here is that God will use your pure and respectful conduct to bring about change in your husband's life. It doesn't say that you can't use your words, but it says that you really you your conduct is so pure and so respectful you wouldn't even have to. And we've all been in those situations before where we're, we aren't where we should be. And then you're you're around somebody who is exactly where they need to be. And at first you bow up and you're like, oh, I hate that person. And they're so happy and so whatever. And then like two seconds later, you're like, that's that's the life that I want. And so within the context of marriage, wives, you make sure that your conduct is pure and respectful and let the Lord deal with your husband. Because if he's a Christian, he has Christ in him and he has been sent the Spirit as well. And that those are the voices he needs to be listening to. Now, husbands, I think you need to communicate with your wife when you're going through stuff. And see... The, the application of those verses to me, in my opinion, for a husband would basically be um, to make one of your desires for your wife to never have that kind of conflict. Just to never be in that place where she's like, I will not submit to this jerk ever. Because we've all been in situations before where someone in authority over us has been incompetent. We've all had a boss that was Michael Scott. You know, you're like, I can't believe this guy's my boss. We've all had a coach who was, was like that, a teacher who was like that. We've all had someone in authority over us who just wasn't, it's not the kind of situation you want to be in when you're the one having to do what they say. And while I 100% believe in the equality of a husband and wife, and you're standing before the Lord in your identity, I just believe that you're just called to different things. As a husband, your desire, a part of your desire as a husband should be just never, ever have your wife hesitate for a second about following your leadership because she sees your life. And when you're struggling, you let her in on the struggle. You don't hide it from her, you don't lie to her, you don't push her away. But, wives, that, um, I, I read somewhere, and in, in, there was a sermon that was referencing Proverbs 31 where it talks about. The, the husband trusting in the heart of his wife. That openness comes. The more the husband trusts the wife, the more you're going from Genesis 3 back to Genesis 2 of being unashamed. So submit to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Jesus submitted because there was equality. So if there is inequality in the, the way either spouse perceives each other and handles each other, then you need to talk to each other about that. There must be unity and equality for there to be true submission and headship. Otherwise, it gets all out of whack. We're trying to let Jesus bring things back to where they need to be. Let's look at the next, look at the next couple of verses. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay. Now, uh, this is not saying, ladies, you should look like a troll all the time. (laughs) All right. It may say that in the message translation. I, don't, I haven't checked it. I'm not sure. It's pretty, pretty loose. Um, what, this is, what this is saying is when you consider the kind of adorning that you want in your life, you don't let the external stuff define you. And, I mean, what a, what a theme of, of our church, you know, and not just our church, but lots of churches are, are starting to realize, like, wow, this focus on the external has gotten way out of hand. And all throughout the Bible, God is pointing us toward the inside. I mean, we sang a song about it tonight. Inside-out living, inside-out transformation. It's not behavior modification. It's starting with the root issues of the heart and letting God remove those lies and replace it with truth, and that transforms our behavior. I mean, everything that we talk about works that way. So here Peter is writing and I mean, the, he's talking about you know, submission and winning your husband over and pure and excellent conduct. And he jumps to like sort of like, not really materialism, but like all this external stuff. And what's interesting is that here you are in the first century and women have issues with placing too much importance on how they look. Crazy. Not a new problem. I do think that you know, culture and magazines and movies and all that stuff maybe make it worse, but this is not original with, you know, us. Just don't let the outside stuff define you, but you be defined by what's happening on the inside. Look at the, the words he chooses to use. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. Remember when they were looking for a king and God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart? Hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A gentle and quiet spirit. We talked about this in, our, in both the holy matrimony groups about, you know, I say, ladies, where, where does all this pressure come from You know, and in both groups, it's like uh, from when you are super, super small. That from when the time you're you're a little bitty girl, people are always telling you how cute you are and how much they like that dress or that bow in your hair or whatever. And as you come along, it just gets more and more complicated. It gets into you know, basically like you want a boy to notice you, so you do you dress however or you whatever, and it just becomes so important. And so from a very young age. how you look on the outside begins to take on an inappropriate amount of weight in like how you assess your life, and that I mean that stinks. It it does, and but that's I mean Jesus is redeeming that too. So here he's saying, okay, um, when you know when he, to use the word adorning, I mean that's that's intentional. Adorning is like what you do on purpose. You decorate a Christmas tree on purpose, you know. You decorate your flower beds. That's, that's adorning. I mean, that's what you're doing. And so in an, in an intentional way, when, when a woman is trying to take care of, of her heart, he's saying, take care of, the, of your inward life. And I think that's one of, the, one of the things that I've kind of circled around a lot in, in the last year is just letting things, like, reach an appropriate level that's supposed to in life, you know. And I know I've said this before, that, you know, when, when someone says, hey, you know, I like that shirt, it should, if it's supposed to hit a three, let it hit a three or less. Don't let it hit a nine. Because when it hits a nine, you have a problem, because what happens is the next time you go to get dressed, you're like, oh, I need to wear a shirt because now I need another nine. <laughs> I gotta have a nine. Now, it needs to be a three. And for our young ones to come through school and like when they fail a test, you know, it needs to hit the appropriate level wherever that is and not more. And all of a sudden their whole identity is found somewhere else. When someone gets broken up with and needs to not send their whole identity spiraling and be like, hey man, that's this really hurts and this stinks and all that, but I mean, it's it's not who I am. So if, if you are a wife, a part of what you're supposed to be doing is trying to constantly cultivate that correct sense of identity within yourself. Now I read that and I think, okay, what does, what does a gentle and quiet spirit look like in the original and how we love the church, you know, how, how the church relates to Jesus? I mean, honestly, like what we do on Sunday nights is is so much of what a gentle and quiet spirit looks like for how how we relate to him. There's a respect for his presence, there's a an appreciation that that we show. When when we are where we need to be, we interact with him rightly, as opposed to where you're not where you are, where you need to be, you haven't been abiding, all that kind of stuff, and then it's, it's just music. It's just a guy up there talking. It's just whatever. It just doesn't really hit anywhere. So this says that wives should be constantly taking care of their hearts and letting God be the one to guard that. And that needs to be an incredibly important investment to you, ladies. And that your wardrobe or what you drive or how much you make at your job or or how many kids you have, and if your kids are good or bad in public and like all these different things that tend, they need to be hitting appropriate levels. And if they are spiking in these different situations and then you're ignoring the internal person of the heart and the th- some things are out of whack and the wheels are going to come off. So it's about you adorning yourself in an intentional way and saying, okay, how much, how much stock do I put in how I look? And again, it's not saying ignore your looks, but I mean, is that... Is that too much to you? Is the currentness of your wardrobe, is that too important to you? I mean, I, it, I know it's like a joke, but like, do you have too many black shoes? You know, do you have too many purses? That's not a judgment call, I'm not pointing a point of finger, I'm just saying, I think you look at this text and I think you're supposed to be asking yourself some of these questions. And you let the Lord be the one to help you answer it. Not a preacher, and not whatever. Like, you let the Lord really tell you, yes, you're too caught up in this. Or, you, you're, better than you, you're better than you used to be. We're making some progress. Or, to let him affirm you and just say, you, you're doing great. Now, husbands, let me bring you in on this a little bit. You, um, I think, I see two major areas where you come into play. One, you can make that pressure better or you can make that pressure worse. Here's this struggle going back to the first century and honestly way before this um, of women letting how they look, all the external stuff, play a role it's not supposed to play. Guys, listen, every little comment that you make ain't helping things. Or it's helping to relieve that pressure because you're speaking the truth. So guys need to be very, very aware of how little innocent comments or little, you know, little nicknames or little whatevers uh, may be counteracting what they're trying to do in their own lives. So if you have a wife who looks at these verses like, I'm taking this seriously, and you as a husband are like not helping her in that, then you're not leading her the way Jesus would lead the church. But if guys, if you're tuned into the fact that okay, this is this is an issue, and so I'm gonna make sure that that my words and my actions, and everything that goes on, is helping cultivate a right view of identity and letting things hit appropriate levels in life, then that's then you're, then you're leading in a Christ-like way. Now, wives, if your husband consistently says things that make it worse. Um, he, you, need, you need to talk to him about it. Like you, you really need to say, hey, when you say this, or when you look at me this way, or when you ignore this, or when you, whatever, um, that makes it more difficult for me to really live this out. Now husbands, the second thing I think is sort of related, but you need to be attentive to your wife enough to know when things are hitting inappropriate levels in her life. Because like most of us, we're really good at seeing where other people's issues are, but sometimes when it comes to self-assessment, we're not really that good. So husband, if you are paying attention to your wife, you know, you know when it has is crossed, is crossed the line, when that new dress has become an identity marker for her. You know when losing a few pounds has become an obsession and has gotten out of, out of hand. And it is your job to be Jesus to her in that. Now, let, me, let me make a, a weird parallel, but let me show you how, how I see Jesus doing this to me as far as him taking care of me, his bride. Um, as, a, as a pastor, um, I, I have tremendously, um, a tremendously wonderful situation in pastoring this church, and it is um, more of a joy than you can tell by my animated expression. And so... Um, <laughs> But like most, like most people, uh, I, I have my times where I'm discouraged by things, and um, it, it, it's not you, it's me, <laughs> and I mean that. Um, there are times when if I, like, if I let certain thoughts roll, you know, like I'll, I'll read a, somebody's blog or something or whatever about some church that started like two days ago, and they have like 6,000 people already, you know, and... Um, somebody gave them an airport for their own building, and um, you know, there's are just all kind of just ridiculous things. And um, all these NFL players come to their church, and just they tithe, and it's like a trillion dollars, and they're feeding like all everybody in like Papua New Guinea now, and know uh, there's no hungry people anywhere, and there's like, all these things that are going on, you know. And so, like, instead of sometimes reading that and being like, that is that is incredible, to God be the glory. I'm like, what the heck? We're a four and a half. And uh we don't have a building um, Our, you know like we've we've grown, but we haven't really like i mean we start growing and people people start moving you know and um, I mean the thing that's growing the most rapidly is our nursery, which is awesome um, we uh you know we don't really have like plans to to move anywhere go for a building we could use more staff, but we don't have the budget for it um, you, you know I, and I just kind of get there and then there's like the other there that's all the outside stuff and then there's things like you know maybe maybe i'm just i'm not seeing the the kind of growth that that i want to see maybe it's just been a discouraging week where there's lots of lots of putting out lots of fires you know and it's just, you just get that way and and so and, and I, i'm not like on the ledge by any means but i mean there just comes a point where like i could just be like just like heavy, like my spirit's just heavy. And then like doubt starts to creep in, and we're just all kind of whatever. And in those moments, and they are very they're few and far between, and they're very short-lived, because Jesus is the perfect groom. And he is so attentive to all of us, and he is so attentive to me that he like literally begins to just tell me the truth. And whether it's in the form of a question or whether it's in the form of scripture or whether it's in the form of a conversation or an email or whatever, he's just basically reminding me that I'm his and this church is his and this was his idea and he's bringing us somewhere and there's so much growth that none of us can ever really see. And if I really believe in his sovereignty then we are exactly where he wants us to be that the, the we don't have a building which means like almost like 95% of our budget goes toward ministry. And uh, and that's awesome. And then all of our needs are met. And then we've never been a homeless church. And um, I mean, there's just I mean, he just just affirms and affirms and affirms and begins to show evidence of grace in people's lives. And the next thing I know, that short lived moment, there's a little period of insecurity has it's now in the past. See, that's what a husband does. And husbands, if you are attentive to your wife and you see that, hey, this is getting out of whack and this is anything in, in any realm of life, you step in and you provide leadership to help bring her back to where she needs to be. And you don't do that in a dogmatic way. You don't take her whole wardrobe and burn it. You know, like that, that's going to teach you to not value you know clothes as much. You don't do that. You just speak the truth to her. And love. Remember what we talked about last week? Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. Husbands, pay attention to your wives. Next verse. It says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. That that was their adorning, that was their intentional way. Of cultivating trust in the Lord in their own home was by submitting to their husbands and saying, "I believe that God has a plan for us, and that the plan is while we are equals, it is for me to submit to you um, because our roles are different." And that demonstrates trust in the Lord. It's just like within the, this church. If you have, if you're a member of this church. Um, you go through a membership class and you go through this process and a part of that is you recognize there are six things that the elders need the church to vote on in order to do. And in every other matter of church life, you just say, I submit to these men that we believe God has brought and put in charge of things to handle that stuff. And by doing that, the congregation is, it's not just saying like, well, I, I'll, I, you know, I'll play ball. You're saying, no, I believe in the sovereignty of God that he's set things up this way And to prove that, I'm going to to submit. That's how I'm showing you that I trust you, God. And wives, you show that you trust that God's in charge of your home by submitting to your husband, believing that he's put him there. And even if he's acting like a donkey, it's going to be okay. Now, husbands, look at verse 7. We'll skip verse 6. It says, likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay? Weaker vessel, you probably heard this before, carries with it the idea of, of porcelain. Now, porcelain um, is delicate and is handled with care. And if you go into someone's home and they have something made of porcelain, It's not sitting on the coffee table where the kids can knock it over. Both of my grandparents had china cabinets. And within the china cabinet was the china. And it was, one, so you could see how pretty it was, and two, so that you did not crush it. And that's the idea here, is that husbands are to live, it says, in an understanding way. It also means considerate. Understanding also means considerate. You take into account the fact that you married a female. So you don't talk to your wife like you talk to your golf buddies. You don't talk to your wife the way you talk to your kids or your coworkers or your boss or whatever. You talk to your wife as your wife. This may not make a lot of sense, but I was thinking about how if you have this porcelain bowl and that's the wife, then the husband's like like a cast iron pot. And to me, the idea of of equality, but yet uniqueness is like you have this porcelain bowl and this cast iron pot and leaders, uh, headship and submission, I think in terms of covering, it's like you take that cast iron pot and you turn it upside down and you put it over the top of that bowl. And the cast iron pot protects that porcelain bowl from the damage of life that's coming at it, whatever. And husbands, you, that's, you're supposed to live in an understanding and considerate way with your wives, acknowledging the fact that they are delicate and precious and valuable to you, and you are their covering. That is headship and that is submission. Like it says, you're co-heirs. God looks at you and he sees two people that he loves and he is redeemed, and He has put your lives together to accomplish some things. So husbands live in a considerate way, and if you look back at Jesus in the church, I mean, both of our groups we talked about this. I mean, all the ways that Jesus is considerate of us—be I mean, full of grace, full of truth. But the bottom line is, He walked the earth, so He understands that like it's difficult to live here. And these bodies, and it's difficult to overcome all these things. and he's been betrayed, and he's been lied to, and he's been made fun of, he's been beat up, he's been mocked. Uh, he's also been loved and cherished and you know adored, and he's had healthy relationships and ridiculous ones. and I mean he grew up in a hometown where they all made fun of him, and I mean there's just he understands, and he lives with us in a considerate way because now he is interceding for us. and he's been there. There's someone that said he's already been where you're going. And husbands, that's how you live with your wives, in an understanding and considerate way. You understand pressure. You understand responsibility. You understand trying to abide. You understand what all that's like. So cover your wife like a cast iron pot and help protect her and provide for her and love her. And really, all this comes down to, for me, is the, the more we understand the, the gospel, like we understand God and humanity and how like all that stuff has worked, the, the more relationships on earth make a whole lot of sense. Whether it's a marriage or just living in community together or whatever, the more we really get who he is, it'll just continue to change and change and change. How we relate to each other. Let me let me pray for us. Father, your um, your goodness and, and mercy is it's really overwhelming to us. What a challenge for all the married couples here to to read these passages and to realize, you know, the it's the high calling. It's so much more than a, some legal agreement and. Ceremony that you go through, that you're stepping into some very beautiful and precious roles. And God, I pray that um, over these these weeks, God, you'll use all these things to to stir up a healthy drive in our marriages. That there will be no condemnation, there'll be no no guilt or heaviness that comes away, but just a healthy sense of challenge. And I pray, God, that you will spark good conversations and good just points of connection in our couples. I pray, God, for those who are dating here, here and really just trying to discern your voice. God, I pray that, that this will be helpful, but that there will be no pressure put on a dating couple to to move any faster or slower than you, God, that they would just abide and let you direct their individual lives. And God, for the for those of us who are single, I got to pray that you would both give us a vision for for really what, what could be for our lives one day. Just readjust the kind of standards that we have or whatever it is you want to do there. But at the same time, I pray that you would show us how to support our married friends in a in a more understanding way. God, that this would just connect our community together and just in very unique and and powerful ways. Father, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's let's stand together. Let me um, just wrap up this way. In Genesis 2, uh, it's very interesting to me, at least, that uh, God made Adam... And it says not good for the man to be alone I'll make him a helper that's fit for him and so um, so there's all the animals there and so in the next part of the story he, he brings all the animals in and Adam names them all you know hippopotamus rhinoceros egret bird dog cat whatever donkey and uh, it says, of all the animals, there, was no, there wasn't a suitable helper for him. And so he put him to sleep, and while all the, you know, Adam was made out of dirt, and all the animals were made out of dirt, but the wife was made out of his very side, his own flesh and bones. And to me, that just, like, puts, puts the female uh, gender in a whole new light, um, Well, here's here's my point. When it says um, to find him a helper, you may have heard the term helpmate, and that kind of also brings a little bit of a hierarchy there. You know, when you start to look into that that original term, that's the same word that's used, like in Psalm 121, where it says, uh, "I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth." It's the same word that's there. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's called the helper. Um, here's, here's where I think it all comes, comes down to. You have Adam, and on the earth, God had called him to do certain things. He says it's not good for him to be alone. And he needs a helper that's suitable for him. Someone to come alongside him to help him accomplish all the things that I want him to do. And so not in a sense of identity. Every one of us is complete already. What happens in a marriage is God puts two people together that are suited for each other in order to accomplish the things that he has for that couple. Acknowledging the fact that there are things that we cannot do by ourselves. And that is a reflection of the gospel in the sense that God is our helper Because there are things that we cannot do on our own. And he is the one who steps in and says, I see the fact that you need help. And that word, it actually means, um, I can't remember now. Never mind. Scratch that. But he looks at us. He says, because I love you, I'm going to help you do what you cannot do on your own and that's why an understanding of the gospel is going to impact our marriages and all of our relationships is because we recognize the fact that when we are connected together we are a reflection of God because he is connected together Father, Son, Spirit he himself is a community and so when he joins with his bride he looks at us and says you can't do this but we can do this the more we get that the more we'll get community the more we'll get marriage the more we'll get a whole lot of things so we're just going to close this time by singing a song or two just connecting to that greater reality that all of us are part of as this church so uh, let's uh, let's sing together a little bit